0: Now, today we're in part two of our series called Wake Up. And as we begin this, I want to tell you about an experience that I have on a regular basis. And I'm curious to see if you have this kind of experience as well. So at the end of a long day for me, and I'm curious, how many of you have long days at work or long days at home and kind of exhausting at times? Okay, so at the end of a long day of me golfing, Thank you for laughing because, you know, people think that pastors, that's what we do is golf. I suck at golfing, so I don't golf. So anyway, so at the end of a long day filled with message prep and meetings and counseling appointments and really deep thinking, I often walk out of work mentally exhausted. So I'm tired. I get in my truck. I start my truck. I blink my eyes and I'm home like that. I don't remember driving home. I don't remember putting uh, my truck into drive. I don't remember going to any stoplights. I don't remember any other cars on the road. I don't remember if you were on the side of the road in a broken down car and saw me and said, hey, there's Pastor Trent, he'll stop and help me. And you waved at me. I have no idea if you did that. And if you did, I'm so sorry because I did not see you. So I'm just home like that. Anybody have those kind of experiences? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. All right, so uh, when we're like that, we are in such deep thought. We don't see things around us. Like, we don't see other cars. We don't see light, warning lights, stoplights. Uh, we don't see pedestrians uh, walking across the street. Hopefully we see pedestrians, but we don't see anything going on around us in those moments, and it's a bad idea for you and I to drive home like that because something bad could happen. We need to wake up while we're driving home and pay attention to what's happening around us in the moment. Now, here's how that applies to us today in our conversation today. So we need to wake up spiritually speaking. Because for a lot of us, we're just kind of going through life on autopilot. Like, we're busy. We're busy with work and home and our relationships and our family and our issues and our problems and the things that we gotta stay so focused on or the things that we're so distracted by. We're so focused on our lives that we don't really recognize the stuff that's happening around us. And and we may see something on the news or on social media that, that makes us want to yell at our TV or you know post something with a lot of exclamation points at the back of it or in all caps so everybody knows that we're yelling at them. Like we might get frustrated in those moments, but then we go right back to driving on autopilot and we're not really paying attention to what's happening around us. And we're not engaging the world the way that God wants us to engage. The world. So spiritually speaking, we need to wake up and pay attention to what's happening in this moment of our lives and in our world. Now, the good thing is we are not the only ones who have ever kind of fallen asleep with our eyes wide open. Uh, 2,000 years ago, the ancient, in the ancient city of Rome, there were Christians that were doing the same kind of thing. And the apostle Paul wrote a letter to them to tell them to wake up, in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, Paul says to them, wake up for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. So throughout the book of Romans, Paul challenges, challenges those Romans to wake up spiritually. Says you've got to wake up and pay attention to what's happening around you. And throughout this series, we are trying to challenge ourselves to wake up spiritually and what's happening around us. Last week, we talked about waking up to salvation. And I talked about the importance of that and why it's so incredibly important to understand what salvation means and what it means to start a relationship with Jesus Christ that will change us forever and for all of eternity. Like we really need to understand that because salvation is something that will impact us for eternity. And like I said last week, the older I get, the more I really recognize that life is short. Life is short. But eternity is forever. Eternity is for a long time. The decisions that we make in our lives, whether they're short for 20 years, they're short for 50 years, they're short for 80 years, even 100 years, that's short compared to eternity. So the decisions that we make for Christ in that short amount of time will affect us forever. So we all need to wake up to salvation. Today we're gonna talk about two spiritual disciplines that have the ability to really wake us up, spiritually speaking. We're gonna talk about the disciplines of fasting and prayer. Now, when it comes to fasting today, uh, fasting seems like it's a new fad. Uh, if you're on social media, y- you'll see you know, a lot of uh, uh, information about fasting. And I'm just curious, anybody doing any intermittent fasting right now? Anybody? Good numbers of us? Okay. Um, we all should be doing intermittent fasting after Christmas, right? Because we all got a little out of hand with uh, Christmas goodies that we we're eating. So uh, right now, fasting is kind of a fad and people do it for health reasons or diet reasons. But when it comes to Biblical fasting, it's very different. So biblical fasting involves giving up food in some amount for a period of time for spiritual reasons. And sometimes people fasted other things in the Bible besides food, but most often when fasting is described in scripture, it is about giving up food. And people in the Bible, they fasted for all kinds of reasons. They fasted for things like this. They fasted for wisdom and to worship God, for guidance from God, to get direction from God, for healing, for preparation for something that was about to happen, for protection, for provision, for repentance, for grief. There's all kinds of reasons that people fasted in the Bible. And I know we are so advanced, we are so sophisticated, we don't need things like that, right? Nobody needs to fast for wisdom. Nobody needs you know, healing in their lives or direction from God today, but maybe we do. So those are some of the things that people in the Bible fasted for and some of the things that we fast for still today. So the common thing that connected all biblical fasts in the Bible is that people were fasting for God to work in them and through them and around them. So people knew they couldn't accomplish what needed to be accomplished in front of them without God's help. And they were desperate for God to work, so desperate, they were willing to set aside what sustains them physically to get help from the one who sustains us all spiritually. So that's what fasting is about biblically. And a great example of biblical fasting happened 2,500 years ago. 2,500 years ago, we're going to learn today a little bit about the story of Esther. And I'm curious, anybody know a little bit about the story of Esther? All right, so if you don't know about the story of Esther, I'm going to help you understand just a little bit of her story. And we're going to give a brief overview of her story today, but I encourage everybody to spend some time this week reading her story. There is so much intricacy to this story. It's It's a really powerful story. Well, if you don't know Esther, she was a young Jewish girl who won a beauty pageant, and she was awarded the Queen of Persia after that. So can you imagine going to a beauty pageant? And guess what your award is? You're now the queen of Persia. And if you're a woman, you're probably thinking, yes, I would love that. I would love to be a queen and have people feed me grapes. And, and, and. That, that, I'm sure, is wonderful. And there were some great things about being a queen. But being a queen in that culture was not like being a queen today. I don't really know what being a queen today is like. But I can tell you, back then, It was a very challenging thing. Here's why. If Esther displeased her husband, King Xerxes, in any way, like, sorry, honey, I I burnt your toast this morning, or in any other way, he could banish her from the kingdom or have her executed. Anybody want to be a queen today? Like, no, thanks. Don't really want to go through that. So that's the stress that Esther was under. And Esther had a cousin, his name was Mordecai. He also worked for the king, her husband. And one day Mordecai overheard some guards talking about killing the king. So Mordecai told Esther, Esther told King Xerxes. King Xerxes was so grateful to Mordecai and later honored him in a really big way, but he ordered for those two men who were plotting to kill him to be impaled on a sharp pole. So if you've ever done any shish kebabs at your house, imagine a couple of guys being on that. So that'll ruin your day. So Mordecai got the credit for saving the king, but Mordecai had some office politics. So there was a supervisor in his office who hated him. His name was Haman and Haman hated Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow down and worship Haman when he walked through the office. So Haman's narcissism was so deep that he felt like the whole office should revolve around him. And I'm curious, anybody ever work with a narcissist like Haman? All right, if they attend church here, don't point at them, okay? So that's not nice. All right, so you know what Haman uh, or Mordecai was going through with that experience with Haman. Well, Haman was such an evil guy that he convinced the king to sign a law that would have Mordecai and all the Jews executed on one day. And here's how that law is described in Esther 3.13. It says, dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the Persian Empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated in a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of that next year. And the property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. So there was some motivation behind this law. And I don't know the difference between killing, slaughtering, and annihilating. They all sound like they're the same thing to me. But that was one evil law that came from the manipulation of one evil man. Now, I'm going to pause here for just a second, and I'm going to chase a rabbit for a few minutes, Okay, So we're going to leave Esther's story for just a second, but we're going to talk about something related to Esther's story, and this is kind of a current events thing. And I need you to listen to everything that I'm about to say before you form an opinion about what I say, Okay, So can you agree to that? Great. Half of you are in agreement of that. All right, so I'm going to chase this rabbit. It's a big rabbit, and we need to catch it, Okay. So today there are still groups of people who hate the Jews and would love nothing more for the Jews to be annihilated and wiped off the planet literally an extinction of a nation there are people that want that i want to show you why that's a bad idea in genesis 12:1 the lord said to abram who later became known as abraham Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That is known as the Abrahamic covenant it's the deepest of all agreements between two people. That's the deepest agreement between God and Abraham and his descendants. And his descendants were known as the nation of Israel. So it's a bad idea for anyone to fight against the nation of Israel because when people do that, when nations do that, they are fighting directly against God Himself. God promises to bless any nation that blesses Israel and to curse any nation that fights against Israel. So I think one of the reasons that America has had such blessing in our existence and such favor from God is because we have stood in support of Israel. But the moment we stop supporting Israel, that hand of favor and blessing will be removed from us. I truly believe that. That goes back to God's covenant that he made with Abraham. But here's a really cool reality. Romans 11 verse 17 says that those of us who are Christ followers, we have been grafted into Abraham's family, also known as God's eternal family. So spiritually speaking, we who are Christ followers are also Abraham's descendants. And because of that, it's a bad idea for anyone to fight against Christ followers. Why? Because when that happens, those people are fighting directly against God himself and his promise to Abraham's descendants physically and spiritually. Now, there is a theology out there called replacement theology. And replacement theology says that because the Jews rejected Jesus when he came, he has rejected them. And he's replaced them in the Abrahamic covenant with modern day Christ followers, that God is no longer in favor of the nation of Israel, he is now in favor of the church, which is modern day Christ followers. Now, we can't fully get into that today, but if you read Romans 11, you'll understand that God is not finished with the nation of Israel. God is not finished with them. He has not rejected them. They are still his chosen people, and he will still protect them. Now, our support of the nation of Israel does not mean that we have to support everything that Israel does. Abraham made some really bad decisions in his day that are affecting us today. So no one should have supported those decisions that Abraham made back then. So we can support Israel without supporting everything that they may do. But some people think that if we support Israel, that must mean that we hate every other nation around them. That is not true. God said in verse three that all the families on earth will be blessed through you, meaning Abraham and his descendants. So God doesn't hate any nation or any people group. God does not want us to hate any nation or any people group. He wants to bless all the nations of the world, and he's chosen to do that through the Jews. Why? Because Jesus was born as a Jew. And Jesus has blessed the world by making it possible for anyone from any nation to join God's eternal family through faith in him and what he has done on the cross for us. So God really has blessed the world through Abraham's descendants, specifically Jesus. But sadly, too many Jews do not see Jesus as their savior. We need to pray for that to change. But too many people in the world do not see Jesus as their savior. So we need to pray for that to change. And in addition to prayer, we need to live our lives in front of people who don't believe Jesus as their savior. We need to live like Jesus and love like Jesus and treat people like Jesus did and like Jesus does so that hopefully they can come to that recognition that Jesus really is the savior of the world. So again, it's a bad idea to fight against the nation of Israel. So thank you for letting me chase that rabbit. That is a really big rabbit to catch and we really need to catch that rabbit. So thank you for doing that. We're gonna go back to Esther's story. So back to Esther's story this horrible law that Haman got the king to sign in Esther 4 verse 1. It says, when Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on burlap and ashes, which is a sign of mourning. And he went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. And he went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was able to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as the news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, they wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. So Esther got news that something was happening She was aware of what was going on with Mordecai. She found out what was going on, and she was in a dilemma when she found that out. She wanted to talk to her husband, but it wasn't like she could talk to him after dinner because for her, she could not go into the king's presence unless the king summoned her, unless the king said, hey, I would like to see you, Esther, or told one of his servants, go get Esther for for me. She could not just show up and say, hey, honey, how was your day? She couldn't do that, or she could be executed. The king had not summoned her for 30 days. So she was in this dilemma. So she explained her situation to Mordecai, and Mordecai said back to her in chapter four, verse 13, he said, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet, At a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. And who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. There's a whole lot in what Mordecai was saying there that we could explore. But Esther said back to him in verse 16, she said, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. So Esther was desperate for God to work. She was so desperate. She asked everyone that she knew to fast with her and for her to fast and pray with her and for her. We don't see her say the word prayer there, but prayer and fasting always go together in the Bible. Fasting without prayer is called a diet. (laughs) And Esther was not asking all the Jews in Persia to go on a diet with her. She was asking them to fast and pray with her. And there's a whole lot more to her story, but here's a summary of what happened next. She got the courage to go and see the king. The king was merciful to her. She pleaded for the safety of her nation and the king heard her. King Xerxes protected her and all the Jews. King Xerxes had Haman impaled on a sharp wooden pole that Haman had prepared for Mordecai. And then he promoted Mordecai to the number two position in all of Persia. So that is a summary of what happened in her story. And again, I encourage you to read it on your own because there's so much there. But it was out of desperation that Esther and all the Jews in Persia fasted and prayed for three days for God to work, and God did work in a supernatural way. So again, fasting is a great way for us to wake up spiritually. It's a great way for us to stop driving through life blindly where we're not even sure how we got home. It's a great way to kind of wake up and see what's happening around us and to see what God might want us to do to engage the world around us. Now, if you've never fasted before, I encourage you to fast with us because we're gonna do a fast here in a few weeks. I encourage you to fast with us. If you have fasted with us before or if you've fasted on your own at another time, I encourage you to... to, or invite you to fast with us as a church. And so whether you're on campus or maybe online, I encourage you to fast with us. I challenge you to fast with us. I double-dog dare you to fast with us <laughs> for everybody. I think fasting is a great thing for all of us. So we're gonna do a one-week fast this year. And here are the dates for our fast. The fast's gonna start on January the 29th and it's gonna end on February the 4th. So this is a, a Monday. And then uh, that'll be a Sunday. And on February February 4th, we are going to have our normal Sunday morning service. And then that night, we're going to have a communion and worship service where we will break our fast together. So I encourage you to start being prepared for that. And if you're new, you might think, well, how do I get prepared? I don't know anything about fasting. Well, we have a fasting preparation guide that can help you. And if you'll just scan this QR code, it'll take you directly to this guide. It is on our website at the top, uh, theepicchurch.com. You can find it there as well if, you're, if you don't scan that. And I encourage you to, to read that. Spend a little time reading. It'll tell you more about fasting, the different types of fast there are, different ways you can engage fast, different ways to start fast, how to end a fast. It, it can help you process through what you should fast for, what you should fast from. It talks about prayer. It talks about Bible reading. There's all kinds of stuff and our fasting guide that can help you get prepared for that. So if you're new, I encourage you to do that. If you have fasted with us for the past 14 years, I encourage you to look at that again and just see, is there a new way that God may want you to engage this fast this year? All right, we're gonna go back to Esther one more time. So Esther was so desperate for God to work that she fasted and prayed for three days. And not only did she set aside food for three days, she set aside food and drink for three days. That's a spot of desperation to be in. And so my closing question for you is, are you desperate for God to work in your life? Like, are you so desperate for God to do something in your life? Like maybe your marriage has fallen apart or a relationship that you have uh, is is not the way that it should be. And you're not sure how to, how to fix it. Are you desperate for God to step into that relationship and bring healing? Are you desperate for God to work in your finances? Like, like maybe you're struggling with your finances and you're not sure how to, to make ends meet. Are you desperate for God to work there? Are you desperate for God to work at your job? Like, is there a situation where you have a supervisor like Haman and you're just not sure what to do? Uh, Maybe you'd like to impale him on a pole, but that's not a good thing today. So, So maybe you have this work situation where you're just desperate for God to do something and you don't know what to do. Are you desperate for God to work in your health? Are you desperate for God to work in the life of someone that you know and love? Maybe you're not a Christ follower. And maybe you've been searching for something that will fill this hole that you have in your heart, but you don't know what it is and you don't know where to turn. And so you're just kind of searching for something. And maybe you're hoping that God will reveal himself in some way and reveal his love for you. So are you desperate for God to show up in your life? If you're desperate for God to work, fasting and prayer are great spiritual disciplines to engage to show God how serious you are about this issue. And guess what? When we fast and when we pray, God pays very close attention to that. He does. So are you desperate for God to work? If you are, I encourage you to fast with us and pray with us starting January the 29th. As we close, we're going to sing a song called Same God and. As we sing this song, we are going to call on the same God who worked in Esther's story, who worked in Moses' story or King David's story. We're gonna call on that same God because that God hasn't changed. And he still works today, just like he did back then. And we're gonna ask him to work supernaturally in our lives as well. So again, if you're desperate for God to work, I encourage you to pour your heart out to him in this next song. So if you would, stand with me. We're gonna sing, and then we're gonna leave for today. If you need to talk with someone before you leave, stop by our care table before you leave. I'll also be in the lobby. And again, if you're new, I'd love to meet you before you leave, or if you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you as well. So let's pray together. God, fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines that is just so hard to understand, Lord, we need food to survive. And yet there's this spiritual discipline called fasting that Jesus, you modeled for us and has been modeled all throughout scripture of people not eating, setting aside food for a period of time to focus on prayer and focus on a deeper relationship with you and asking you to work because we're desperate for you to work. So, Lord, I'm grateful for the example of that, even though I don't fully understand how it all works. But, Lord, you've modeled it for us. And, Jesus, you told your disciples in Matthew uh, chapter 7 that when you fast, fast like this. So he didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. So we can still fast today and benefit greatly from it. So, God, some of us are desperate, We're desperate for you to work in our lives. And Lord, I'm grateful to know that you know everything that's going on in our world and you pay extra attention when we are fasting and we are praying and seeking your wisdom and guidance and presence in our lives. So Lord, we're calling on you, the same God who has worked for thousands of years. You can still do the same things today that you did back then. And Lord, we ask that you would work powerfully in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.